We'd like to thank our sponsors, NoWatch, who are determined to help society connect back to the present moment. NoWatch is a smart jewelry wearable that measures and predicts stress one hour in advance, helping you restore balance and improve relaxation and sleep. With a collection of nine interchangeable gemstones to suit your daily mood and style. Through skin conductance, it knows what your cortisol levels are and where they're headed. With a subtle vibration, you're reminded to stay in the stress-free zone by taking a breath, going for a walk, doing yoga or meditation. The No Watch Kickstarter starts in November. These watches will sell fast, so you want to get yours today. And if you sign up on the website nowatch.com, N-O-W-A-T-C-H.com, you can get an early bird discount. Hi, my name is Yasmin Terehi, and this is Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness, well-being, and spirituality. Today's episode is about hormone imbalance, fertility, and getting pregnant with Dr. Amy, the egg whisperer. Dr. Amy Avazadeh is a full-time practicing fertility doctor and is beloved by patients and the media. Her focus is on finding the sweet spot of where science and patient care meet and empowering people to better understand their fertility. So I am so excited to welcome Amy to the show. Uh, Amy, welcome. Thank you, Yasmin. I'm just as excited to be here with you as well. So Amy, we have so many questions from a lot of women in our communities who are asking questions about birth control, hormonal imbalance, how to get pregnant. And so I would like to kick it off by asking first, like why so many people have a hormonal imbalance today? I mean, I think in general, um, what you're seeing across the world is more obesity. So people are heavier and that can contribute to it. And then the most common hormonal imbalance that I actually see is related to age. So as we get older, our hormones are out of balance because our FSH levels, for example, are higher, our estrogen levels are lower. And those are things, unfortunately, that we can't treat, but people are testing these things more because more and more people are actually waiting longer to get pregnant. Other problems that are really common, like PCOS, thyroid problems. You know, I'm not sure that we're seeing more thyroid problems now than we've done, like we've seen 10, 15 years before, but I do think that we're seeing more PCOS. And I think that's probably related to our environment as well. Can you tell us why so many women find out about their health issues so late? I know it's frustrating. I get so frustrated about that. And that's what I do. That's why I do what I do is to educate people about test, don't guess. I think when people go to the doctor and they have a sense as to what's going on with their body and the doctor says, oh, it's not a big deal. Just wait six months or a year and we'll figure it out. You know, that's just not fair. And I feel like if a man went into a clinic and said, you know, I have these concerns, oh, we'll do every single test for you. But I hear still today people say like, I went to my doctor six months ago. I went to my doctor a year ago and I'm so frustrated that I'm now finding out that I have this hormonal imbalance or I have a low AMH or a high FSH. So I think it's just, you know, people don't realize that you actually can do a lot of these tests on your own without a doctor's permission. And there are doctors like me who are super fired up about educating people so they can know their levels sooner than later. So it's just about finding the right doctor that will help you. And can you actually tell us what the acronyms mean? Uh, you said S- FSH and ANH? AMH. I know. AMH. I feel like a rap. I should have my own like rap videos some days, <laughs> but the FSH to the E2 to the AMH to the TSH. <laughs> so 
basically these are just hormones that tell us about your eggs, you know, how many you have, how good they are. They're far from perfect tests. They're basically like a semen analysis for our eggs, but unfortunately there's truly no such thing, but they're the best that we have. So these are the types of tests that we do through a blood draw at a certain part in a woman's menstrual cycle, and they guide us about what's going on with her body and more specifically her eggs. Got it. It's called FSH and AN. Correct. H? Okay. H. Yes, that's right. Interesting. What does it stand for? Follicle stimulating hormone is the FSH test, and the AMH test is the anti malarian hormone. So, what is your perspective on birth control? I think there's been a lot of controversy around birth control and its impact on, uh, you know, hormones. I'm just curious, and I'm not sure if this is an area that you even study. So, feel free to disregard the question. But I'm just curious, you know, what what your perspective has been on on birth control. So, you're asking the right person. I get really fired up about birth control pills for so many reasons because I think they trick women and they trick women for far too long. What birth control pills do, number one, is make a woman feel fertile, and she can feel fertile because she's having a quote-unquote regular cycle for years until she stops them at the age of, let's say, 32. Let's say you started them 17, and then you stop them at 32, and all of a sudden you have no periods, and you think it's because the birth control pills need more time to come out of your system. But the reality is, for the last over 10 years, you were slowly running out of eggs but had no way of knowing it because you were on birth control pills. So number one, they trick women. Number two, I think that they are a significant cause for depression and mood disorders in young people. I think they affect the brain serotonin levels, dopamine levels. And for women who are young, let's say teenagers, and they become depressed, I think Honestly, I think birth control pills has a lot to do with it. Don't get me wrong. There are so many non-contraceptive benefits to birth control pills, like decreasing pain with your periods, prevention of ovarian cancer, um, and, and so many more, and help uh, and prevention of um, worsening of endometriosis. But one of the things that I like to teach young people is when you're on birth control pills, every time you go in for that refill once a year, get your hormone levels checked. Don't be tricked. Don't find out too late that you are being, you are masking infertility. And number two, if you're in a really bad mood, if you're suffering from depression, anxiety, the thing you should do is talk to your doctor about switching up your pill, talking to them about other options so that you're not miserable while you're on them. Wow. That's really mind-blowing. I'm so surprised that there aren't more people out there talking about some of the negative consequences of birth control, You know, especially when it comes to mental health, since that feels like it's the disease of our time. So- you know, I'm just you know curious why why there hasn't been more more news about about that. I think a lot of people are actually really suffering. I agree. I mean, I call these drug companies and and you know they don't care about me. And I say like, look, put a little insert inside your birth control pill. Be sure to check your hormone levels because you can be tricked. <laughs> you know, it's kind of <laughs> like cigarettes. Like your cigarettes can cause lung cancer. It's like your birth control pills could not necessarily make you infertile, but make you not realize that you're infertile until it's too late. And that's the stuff that I get fired about educating people about day in and day out. Wow. So, um, Amy, what is the egg whisperer diet? I love that that's the nickname that you have. Uh, so I actually heard about you through many uh, resources, um, but all, in particular through my friend network in the Bay Area. So they were like, Dr. Amy is the person to go to <laughs> uh, for a lot of women in their 30s who are trying to get pregnant and who've may had you know a number of issues. Um, 
your name just kept coming up over and over and over again. So I was very excited to have you on the show. And I know you have your own uh, podcast where you talk about a lot of different subjects like IVF and how to get pregnant and the egg whisper diet. So I'd love to hear uh, more from you about what this diet is and maybe if there are specific supplements that we should be taking. And I imagine that, you know, every woman is different, but if there are maybe some, yeah, like some, I don't know, main uh, supplements or a diet that we should, we should all be following. Perfect. So the egg whisper diet is my recipe for IVF success. D-I-E-T, four steps, four letters. And what I I tell people is, look, I can't guarantee people that they're going to have a successful IVF outcome, but I can guarantee people if you follow this recipe, you're never going to look back and wish you had done something different or better before you did IVF. So the D is to make sure you know your diagnosis before you start your IVF treatment so you can take that diagnosis and do everything you can that's in your control to improve things before you start your IVF. And then you go into your IVF cycle, which is the I, more informed about your diagnosis so that you can truly follow the right protocol that's based on your DNA and everything that you've learned in the D part. The E is embryo transfer preparation. I don't like Vegas. I don't like rolling the dice. I just don't because I feel like I do enough of that at work. So embryo transfer preparation, I think is really important. Talking to your doctor about what do you know about me? What is the best way to approach how to put an embryo in? And the T is basically the transfer. So you go to the transfer and making sure that everything is perfect. So that's my recipe for success. And preparation for the IVF cycle is all part of, you know, preparing that I part, taking supplements, exercising, eating right, sleeping well, avoiding environmental toxins. And my favorite supplement is CoQ10. And people go online and they read so much about the different supplements that they should be taking. And of course they could be taking like, you know, 30 things a day. And I say, let's keep it simple. A good prenatal with vitamin D, fish oil, CoQ10. And there's a couple other things that I suggest to people like NAD um, for egg quality, depending on your age, NAC if you have endometriosis and inositol if you have PCOS. So when it comes to supplements, I want people to keep it simple and really try and rely on food as much as you can, but you can't necessarily get some of these things from food um, compared to um, other things like, for example, folic acid. Wow. Interesting. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about CoQ10? What is it for? Yeah. So CoQ10 can potentially help energize your eggs. It can help the mitochondria in the cells. And so our CoQ10 levels start to go down when we're about the age 30. And at about the age 30, that's when you start to see a rise in the chromosomal abnormalities in our embryos. So I actually tell my egg freezing patients because I get to see them when they're in their early 20s a lot of the time. And I say, look, if there's one thing you learn from me is take CoQ10 until you're done having babies. Because it's not one of those things that can potentially make a big difference in just one or two months of taking it. Or it could. No one really knows. But it's possible that after eight years of taking it, if someone started it when they're, let's say, at 25, that there might be some long-term benefit from taking it so that when they're 37, they might have healthier eggs. I don't know this to be true um, yet in animal studies. That seems to be the case. And so hopefully in about 20 years, the patients that I took care of in their 20s will reach out to me like, Amy, I had a baby at 37 and then I'm 39. And thank you for telling me about CoQ10. Mm, That's awesome. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. All right. So I'll have to get a list of of everything you just um, stated because that sounds fascinating. Can you talk to us about uh, endometriosis why are there so many new cases of this? I mean, this is an anecdotal observation, but I've I've noticed that a lot of people uh, in my social circle have complained about endometriosis, and it just feels like 
I don't remember my my parents' generation, you know, talking so much about this particular condition. Do you know? Do you have any ideas? And maybe you could explain to folks like what endometriosis is. Yeah. So endometriosis is a horrible condition. It's fertility threatening and it can make the eggs of a young person act much older. So anytime someone has that condition, I always say, talk to a doctor about your family size goals, talk about family planning and consider freezing eggs, embryos, or both. If you're, let's say you're 32 years old and you've been given that diagnosis, like go right to preserving your fertility because of how bad it can be for our egg quality. And it can also affect implantation. So it's basically the, um, the implantation of tissue from inside the uterus, outside different organs, and it basically causes an inflammatory state inside our bodies. And it can be associated with so many things, like um, it can cause irritable bowel, it can cause problems with rectal bleeding, it can cause pain with intercourse. So it's not like there's just three things that it can do. It can wreak havoc on so many organs in our body. And so getting to an endometriosis specialist, if you feel like this is something that resonates with you, I think is extremely important. It can also block fallopian tubes. It cause fluid in the fallopian tubes, and it can invade the walls of the uterus. And, and be it's related to a condition called adenomyosis as well. And I think we're seeing more of it because of the environment. We're being poisoned, not to be too dramatic. I mean, as you can tell, I might be just a little bit dramatic, but that's because I'm super passionate about this stuff. But we're being poisoned each and every day from the minute we are um, implanted in our mother's uterus as an embryo, the things that she's exposed to throughout the pregnancy, the plastics, things in the water. And I feel like that is certainly contributing to this rise in endometriosis that we're seeing. I agree. I think we are definitely seeing a rise in endometriosis. I'm seeing more endometriosis now than I did 15 years ago. Yeah. You know, so it's so fascinating. I feel like a lot of women, um, in my age group just don't have like the resources to understand what's really happening with their, with their health. And what are some resources or places where you think we can find information? Of course your show, you know, gets to the top of the list, but I'm just curious, like, you know, what other places are, are sharing information about these kind of, I wouldn't call them like epidemics and maybe they are like this kind of like, you know, growth of conditions in a lot of young women today, but yeah, I'm just wondering like what, which places, which organizations are tracking this? For sure. So ASRM is the organization. So the American Society for Reproductive Medicine is basically a hub and they're trying to do better with social media outreach to educate people everywhere about the conditions that we're talking about today. So for anyone who's curious, you just go to ASRM's website, you know, follow them on Twitter, on Instagram and you'll get the latest and greatest updates and articles fed to you, you know, throughout the day and week so that you can be on top of the latest research. Great. Okay, great. And uh, we'll get that and add it to the show notes. So, Amy, I want to talk about PMS because it's something a lot of people suffer from. And it's interesting because it seems like there are some women who have debilitating PMS and then others that don't have it at all. Is it genetic or lifestyle influenced? What what has been your observation? I think it's a little bit of both. And I had one of my professors tell me women who have really bad PMS potentially can have really, uh, it, he thought that it was associated with really bad uh, menopause symptoms as well. And he always used to say, like, ask them, like, what was your mom like? 
And so I do think that there could be a genetic component to that. And I think also lifestyle has something to do with it as well, but not, it's not everything. It's kind of like depression. There's a genetic component to depression. I think PMS might be similar in that. I don't know what, I'm not an expert in the genes related to PMS or PMDD. I'm sure there are people out there that know this stuff better than I do. But I certainly think that if your mother had really bad PMS, potentially that's something that you might um, have to look forward to. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, um, and what about the kind of early age that so many women are getting their periods? I, I kind of read somewhere... I could be totally wrong here, but I, I read somewhere that our the, the the average age that women are getting their periods has like decreased over time, and mm-hmm. some some women get it as early as nine, which is so crazy to me. Yeah, and that has something to do with the environment too, and uh, with o- obesity trends in the U.S. So that 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 does influence the time that a girl will get her period as well. Got it. You know, I'm curious, you know, about. Um, modern life and society and our working schedule, you know, it feels like our hormones are not really um, made for this, you know, 24 hour cycle of work, you know, or I guess like the nine to six work cycle every week for the entire month. I'm just, you know, curious, like what your thoughts are on the week that women have their periods. I mean, do you think uh, that like the modern world has been made for women uh, to be as productive on their periods or, you know, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. Cause I've, I've always like kind of um, reflected on if men had their periods, if they'd want to go into the office and, and, you know, be as productive for that four or five days or not. Yeah. I mean, there'd probably be man period caves, you know, not just a man cave, but a man period cave that would be set up, you know, one on in each city and where they would be catered to and massaged and fed peeled grapes. I'm kidding, but I'm not. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like, um, it's really tough to be a woman. Um, especially if you have conditions like, um, endometriosis or adenomyosis, where you're basically suffering tremendously from severe pain. Um, So if someone is dealing with that and it's disrupting their work life, you you know, you need help with that. But for the most part, if you understand what's going on with your body and, you know, how you feel during different phases of your menstrual cycle, it's actually quite powerful. And you can harness that to be productive in different ways. So for example, the beginning of your cycle, someone women feel like a boost of energy, a boost in mood, and they're actually the most productive at that time. So I tell people, look, plan your big presentations during that time. And then after ovulation, you might feel a little bit more sluggish, you know, maybe a little bit down, like not as you might feel maybe slightly depressed and have, you know, the blues just a little bit, you know, because we know that PMS is quite common. You know, maybe don't plan a big talk or, you know, a social event that, that you're in charge of during that period of time. And that's actually what I do. So if someone is inviting me somewhere, I actually think, um, (laughs) where will I be in my cycle and, you know, what kind of energy I'm going to have? Cause I can tell you that I feel really grouchy closer to my period. And I feel I'm actually, um, pretty spunky most of the time, but I'm spunkier, like right after my period is over before ovulation. Fascinating. Oh, interesting. I always heard that in ovulation, we appear more attractive. Um, so that we should be 
running our presentations or taking meetings during that week. <laughs> I don't know if that's... Yes. <laughs> that... Oh, I think... Oh, there's definitely a science behind that. I, I, I do believe... I mean, you know, I, that I if you look in the literature, there's there's there are actually people that have done studies on productivity and, and things that women do during the different phases of their cycle. So, um, so that's definitely a thing. Amy, can we talk a little bit about the egg freezing process? I think for a lot of women who are considering it, who might, you know, not have access to a lot of information about the process. I think it'd be great to just walk through what it's like, you know, what is IVF? How does that fit into the egg freezing process? How does it work? What the success rate is? Absolutely. So egg freezing is IVF without the F. And when I say F, I'm not talking about effing. (laughs) I'm talking about fertilizing. So to do IVF, you're basically doing the process of egg freezing, but you're effing the eggs after the eggs are retrieved. So basically, you're either taking medications to grow eggs to fertilize them, or you're taking medications to grow eggs to freeze them. So what it what it involves is taking a small shot in the skin of your tummy, and every doctor's protocol is different. My protocol is one shot per night for about 10 nights. The shots feel like what it feels like to pluck an eyebrow. You know, I think so many times people have an idea when someone says shot, they think of these long needles, you know, like in the soap operas where they're like <laughs> flicking them and you see fluid flying out and it goes in your butt. But the reality is they're just small shots getting your tummy and most people can tolerate them quite well. And while you're on the shots, you might feel some headaches and nausea, cramping, bloating, egg white cervical mucus. And then the egg retrieval comes. And the egg retrieval is an ultrasound while you're asleep. It's like a blood drop in your ovary. One vaginal puncture site with a really thin needle goes into the ovary while you're asleep. We drain the fluid out from the ovary that contains the eggs from each follicle. Embryologists then will freeze the eggs. And then if you're a partner or if you're an independent mother or in a same-sex relationship or however you choose to create your family, you can then fertilize the eggs for the F process, which is making embryos, culturing them, and either transferring right away or freezing for future use. So that's basically in a nutshell what the process is like. So, okay. So how long does that process usually take? You said 10 days for the shots, like from start to finish, like before the F. Yeah, exactly. So it's about, you know, I I like to tell people to, you know, start preparing about one to three months before. And then typically once your period starts is when the clock starts for your protocol And it's about two weeks with the culmination being quote unquote ovulation day. But ovulation day is the day that we actually extract the eggs before they leave the ovary. Got it. What's the success rate for that process? The success rate depends on your age, right? And everyone's egg count, everyone's fertility levels are going to be different. And so that's one thing I tell people, it's not a competition. So don't use your numbers of, you know, your eggs and your fertility levels and think that or think that they're going to be someone else's because they're not. So if let's say you have a 34-year-old with 14 eggs that are frozen for her, that's going to be different than let's say a 44-year-old with 14 eggs frozen for her. So the 34-year-old will have over a 50% chance of having two kids from that batch, and the 44-year-old will still have a less than 5% chance of having a child from that batch. Amy, can you talk to us a little bit about your journey? Why did you decide to do this type of work? Um, it's a, it's in my genes. It's how I was made. (laughs) I mean, I came out looking for a uterus 
to, you know, get, you know, put an embryo in. And I, and that's the thing. My friends joke with me. They're like, Amy, we're never going to see you. Like, we'll never go out to coffee, right? Unless we come in and take our pants off. I'm like, basically, <laughs> the way to my heart is through your uterus. I know that sounds weird, but it's not weird for me. So uh, the reality is this is all I, I, I wake up, I go to sleep, I dream about it, how I can help people have and grow families and more so ever than now because of how the world is. I want loving people to be parents. And so my grandfather was an OBGYN, my grandmother was a midwife, my father an OBGYN, it's literally in my blood. And I had a professor once that said, Amy, can you just not come across as so passionate? <laughs> and I'm like, um, I can't, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just not in my DNA, my genes. Wow. I love that. You want to help people, you know, create families, but also create good, you know, families for good parents. Um, What, you know, where did you learn your philosophy from? Like you obviously went to medical school, but was there someone else in your life? You talked about your grandparent. Is there anything, anyone else in your life that was a mentor to you that really helped push you through this process? My mother, she is everything to me. She is the wind beneath my wings. Everyone else, I have these ideas are like, you're crazy. I would run it by my mom. She's like, do it. So like I have these egg whisper pants. They're the crotchless yoga pants that my <laughs> patients love. I ran them by, I'm like, mommy, I'm like, I have this idea. And she's like, not the craziest idea you have, but do it. I believe in you. And I, you know, and same thing with an egg freezing party. You know, I started egg freezing party in 2014. I had this idea. I went to my mom. She's like, actually, that might be the best idea you've ever had. I'm proud of you. Do it. I went, bought the website and I just went from there. And it started from a young age. You know, I wanted to play piano when I was three. She bought me a grand piano and I played piano through I was eight, you know, until I was 18. I wanted to go to medical school. She guided me the whole way, you know, making sure I was supported and had what I need. And she was there for me. I'm a little bit like a helicopter, typical Middle Eastern mother. I'm kind of slightly judgmental. And my sister and I, thank God we have shared misery that we can talk, um, we can talk about with one another. But truly, even to this day, she actually works for me. Um, she sits in a little office in my office. People don't know that. And she basically runs the show, makes sure I have what I need every single day so I can just take care of patients. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. Wow. <laughs> Lucky you. I know. Wow. Amy, can you talk to us about the tushy method and the balls method? I know these are two methods you introduced. <laughs> I know. They make me giggle too. And there was a woman, she's an acupuncturist here in town. And she said, Amy, she's like, I saw you just posted about this thing called Tushy Method, but do you know that when you put Tushy into Google, it's all porn? And I'm like, (laughs) of course I know. Like, hello, I'm trying to get people's attention that getting your fertility checked should be easy. And it's not something that you wait to do when you're 40. Like people shouldn't be learning about this stuff when it's too late. They should be learning about this stuff from the beginning of their journey at the start. So tubes, uterus, sperm, hormones, your genetics, it's really that easy. And then talking to a doctor about the results, talking to them about your family size goals, that's how you get to a plan for you and your priorities should be your doctor's priorities, not the other way around. So you have to find a good fit for yourself so you can have someone that will guide you and make sure that they have your interests in mind. And then the balls method is basically the same thing for guys. You know, I feel like there's still too much sugar coating for guys. Oh dude, like, you know, your sperm is low, but it's still good. And I'm like, huh? (laughs) I'm like, what does that mean? You know, I have patients that come in with this diagnosis of unexplained infertility and they're like, well, my husband had a low count, but the doctor said it was still fine. And I'm like, 
I don't understand how that works. Explain <laughs> that to me, you know? And so I just came up with the balls method for people who don't have me as a doctor that they can, you know, check the background genetics of the sperm doing extra tests like a sperm DNA fragmentation test, look at the anatomy, roll out a varicocele, look at labs like testosterone, talk about lifestyle and sex. So, and supplements, it's really that simple. Like there are things that we can do that are actionable. So people shouldn't be afraid of getting these tests done because there are ways that you can still have a baby. Yeah, I love that. Um, what about the pandemic? Like how has that changed your practice? Maybe your perspective? Has it changed your practice? I'm the busiest I've ever been. I see about 35 patients a day. Oh my um, I'm probably working from 6 a.m. until about 1 to 2 a.m. I get about maybe four to five hours of sleep. And I do think, I mean, I know I say the law of things are in my genes, but I do think I have a gene that I don't actually need the same amount of sleep as most people. Um, and I think my grandfather had that gene and my dad as well. So, um, so, so that's what I have seen. I have seen people finally realize that family is the really the only thing that matters in this world. Your job doesn't matter. Getting that house doesn't matter. That promotion doesn't matter. I think the pandemic made people realize, holy shit, like I really want a family. Like, that's what this is all about because once everything is taken away from you, who you love and and it is really what it's all about at the end of the day. And there's a reason why I think I was named Amy, A-I-M-E. It means love or loved one. You know, I feel like I practice, my practice of medicine is a practice of love. It's bringing more love into people's lives. And there's no more amazing love than the love of a parent to a child and a child to a parent. And I'm so lucky that I have that. I have four um, four kiddos. Sometimes I call them assholes. Maybe a lot of time I call them assholes. One in particular, three of them are really nice. One's just a little bit of an asshole. I joke, I joke. They're all awesome. But like, I want people to have that love when they go into their homes. And I feel like that's what this pandemic has turned into a fertility pandemic where people are like, I want to have a baby and I want that baby now, or at least want to prepare and freeze eggs or sperm for myself. Mm, I love that. And that's been true for my own circle. I've seen a lot of people get pregnant over the last year. It's just been amazing. Um, what are some interesting stories from people that you've worked with? Like maybe one or two stories of people whose lives changed after working with you. I imagine a lot of pregnancies that happened uh, after working with you versus before. But yeah, I'm just curious if you could just give us a story without uh, giving the person's name. Sure. Real quick patient reached out to me, um, you know, Amy, uh, you were right. My last doctor told me that there was a 1% chance of a pregnancy after my failed IVF cycle. And you told me to keep going and try an IUI and it worked. So that's one story. Uh, second story, I've had patients who've been trying for 15 years, 17 years. And then, you know, I see them, I make a diagnosis and then, you know, they have a baby. So it's like, you know, I think, People feel like when it comes to fertility, there's so many um, religious and cultural undertones to how we approach this medical condition. But since it's a medical disease, I think it's important for people to realize that you have to get to a diagnosis. And that's what I do. And that's what I do every single day to help people find the right treatment for themselves through IVF, through IUI. You know, it's just so much fun to help people build families. What is IUI? It's basically a fancy way of saying a turkey baster. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so a little catheter inside the uterus. Have a good time. Amazing. Hey, man, give me a shot of tequila. Yeah, this is fun. <laughs> Amazing. So what do you, what has surprised you the most on this journey? 
Um, what has surprised me the most is um, how resilient people are through the pandemic. I mean, I know you didn't ask necessarily about this journey, but I feel like at a time where the world is shut down, people still showed up demanding care. And I think people outside the fertility world at home with their kids, like miserable because they're homeschooling, not realizing that all my patients would literally like do anything to be quote unquote miserable at home, homeschooling their children. Um, they showed up and they didn't let the pandemic get in their way as much. You know, they, they still fought for what they believe to be right for them, which is care, fertility care at a time where the world was shut down. So I, ne- I wasn't necessarily surprised by that, but I was concerned in the beginning that, you know, I actually started going through my dad's old textbooks because he's a general OBGYN and started, okay, how do I do a C-section? How do I do a hysterectomy? Like thinking that I wouldn't have a job anymore because nobody would want to have babies and do treatment. But actually the opposite has been true. Fertility doctors are in demand more than ever. And there's such a need for us out there. Oh, very cool. You know, similar to you, my my aunt it was one of the first female OBGYNs that came to Chicago from Iraq uh, back in, I think it was like the 50s or 60s. Um, so I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about the world of, uh, women's fertility and, and health. And I was actually delivered by her too. So I'm just Aww. been fascinated by, yeah, by, by the, how many stories, um, you know, have come online where people are just, you know, getting pregnant much later in the game. Um, and I think that as a society, like we're, we're all trying to support that, like what, what is going to happen for the next generation, right? Like, I don't think we can push this out any longer than we've already pushed it out. Um, so I'm just sort of curious, like, what do you think is next, um, for the next generation? Like, do you think there's just going to be a lot less births? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're going to be like Japan. Absolutely. I think our live birth rate is going to continue to plummet and our death rate is going to continue to increase. We're going to see the government will start paying people to do IVF to preserve their fertility like in other countries. I predict that most people won't be having babies until their late 40s and 50s. And the only way they'll be able to do that is if they had frozen their eggs when they were in their 20s, unless we come up with some technology that where we can create gametes from nothing. So that's kind of my prediction for the future. Amy, what do you want to tell our listeners about their health and wellness? What would you want to, what would you say to women out there who maybe are in their twenties, thirties, and forties who want to get pregnant or are, are already uh, pregnant or maybe already have children? What, what would you say to them just for their protection of their own health and well being? Yeah. I mean, I would just always tell people get, get checkups and get them frequently. I mean, we get pap smears for cervical cancer. We get mammograms for breast cancer, get fertility tests for your fertility. And, you know, I feel like infertility is a much bigger deal in terms of how many people it affects than cervical cancer, right? And getting that diagnosis feels like you're dying for my patients. And I know that, again, I'm being a little bit dramatic, but that's the reality. Um, of how it feels to be a fertility patient. It's some people say it's worse than getting a cancer diagnosis. So that's why I feel like getting tested, getting your test early enough, preserving your fertility before it's too late, and not being afraid to ask questions and ask more questions. And if something doesn't feel right, find someone else to ask your questions to. Right. And women's healthcare seems to be like on the lowest totem pole when it comes to healthcare in America. Um, is there anything that we can do to petition for stronger 
regulations and laws that protect women's health, like as a, as a group and as a society. I know I'm trying, I'm trying to get people's attention. You know, when, when our vice president Harris is in office, I'm hoping that she'll do something. She talked about, you know, doing more fibroid research and I don't know where that has gone, but I really feel like there should be a fertility task force that is not just fertility minded, but also pregnancy, because I feel like with all the gun violence that we're seeing and the violence in general, it's too late to nurture an adult, unfortunately, to show them love. But we have to be showing women the minute they're pregnant, love and support so that they can love and support themselves, their pregnancy and their children and families. So, you know, just real quick, I know you didn't ask me this question, but one of the ways that I think that we can do better in this country is treat the first trimester the way we treat the third trimester. Everyone knows that there's such a thing as maternity leave, but unfortunately in this country, women spend most of their first trimester hiding a pregnancy from their employers because they're so scared that they're gonna get fired. They're going to work stressed, they're bleeding at work, at a time where they should be resting and relaxing and sleeping as much as they can at home and eating really nutritious foods and resting and hydrating. So I hope that, you know, someone out there is listening to me and will say like, Amy, we want you to be the, 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 the country's fertility surgeon general. I'll be like, sign me up. Let me <laughs> share all my ideas with you and let's get to work. I love that idea. I, and please let us know how we can support you on that mission. <laughs> Thank you. It's amazing. So Dr. Amy, are there any resources that you can point folks to in order to learn more about you, about your work, how to get in touch, your your podcast? Absolutely. I mean, if you just put Egg Whisper anywhere, you'll find me, whether it's on iTunes, Spotify, you know, I'm Amazon Podcasts, Facebook, they're everywhere. And then on Instagram, YouTube, as well as Twitter. So I love hearing from people. I have classes. People can go to eggwhisperschool.com, for example, and you can get all of this stuff also from my website, which is d-r-a-i-m-e-e.org. Amazing. Okay, great. And we'll also leave that in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time, Amy. It was such a pleasure to connect you, with you. Yasmin. And uh, I'm sure we'll get a lot of questions and uh, a lot of people will be sending you emails after this episode and conversation. So I don't Aww. know if you can handle it because it seems like you're overbooked. But. I'm so excited. <laughs> no, I love talking to people like you and thank you. Who knows? Maybe if we did a 23andMe test, we'll be related. <laughs> probably, probably. <laughs> I think we have a lot of similarities there. Yeah. So, and for our audience, thanks for joining and for listening. In this episode, we learn about hormone imbalance, fertility, and how to get pregnant with Dr. Amy, the Egg Whisperer. And you can tune in to Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness, well-being, and spirituality. Thanks again.